0: Ladies and gentlemen, Jokey and SA. Thank you. And I was going to say that we're going to be doing independent finance through interpreted dance. Yes. So that's actually instead of competing, we're going to work with the music. But anyway, with that said, good afternoon and welcome to the New York Lounge, brought to you by the New York Production Alliance, and welcome to Fun Dance. Um, w- as John said, this is our independent film financing panel, and we've got a real great group of panelists. So I'm going to quickly rattle through some bios and we're going to dive right into it. So and I'm just going to have people raise their hands because my, bi- my alphabetical order is a little bit mixed up. But we've got Tanya Wexler. Tanya is a New York based film director. She recently made the critically acclaimed Hysteria, which I actually did download last night on iTunes and loved. Did you pay for it? I paid for it. <laughs> I did. Um, and it's a Victorian based comedy about the invention of the vibrator. So it's an interesting movie, to say the list. And she's got a, a whole bunch of other. Uh, titles, but she has just joined Laura Ivy um, as part of. Um, not wow. as part of that. <laughs> <laughs> that was to see who's awake or deaf. Um, so, yes, uh, so Tanya joined Laura Ivy as part of Co op Entertainment. And Laura Ivy is a solution driven partner, uh, producer of film and television with over 16 years of experience. So we're really ex- anxious to hear from Laura. Um, to Tanya's left, we've got Mark Simon, an entertainment lawyer with Cohen, DeBets, Abrams, and Shepherd. And Mark is gonna share with us some legal issues that he has been addressing over the years as it relates to independent financing. To my immediate left, we have John Hadity, who many in the room already know. Not as only does John work with me at Entertainment Partners that are um, part of our EP Financial Solutions division, but John comes to the panel with over 20 years of film financing experience, which included 12 years plus at Miramax, where John worked on some very elaborate and creative choke calls um, that resulted in really great financing um, structures. Um, next, we have Emily Best. Emily is at the far end there. Emily founded Seed&Spark, which is a crowdfunding company, uh, but, but more. So I'm gonna have Emily talk more about what that is as we get into that part of the conversation. To Emily's left, we have Jamila Farley. Jamila is an associate director of tax at 20th Century Fox, where she works with all the Fox divisions on production incentive planning. And I've worked with Jamila going back a number of years. We started (laughs) working together years ago at the Walt Disney Company. And then we have Marco Cordova. Marco and I also work together. We also work together at Sony. Marco is a Vice President with NEP Financial Solutions and along with John and I work with our clients in her- helping them where to decide where to go based on incentives, but Marco also spearheads our tax credit placement division and Marco will talk more about that. And if I didn't, oh, I'm sorry. Our latest addition to the panel, and I just got a chance this morning to see his, uh, the short for his film. We've got Rafael Francisco. R- Rafael is an independent producer based in New York City And after producing The Anatomy of the Theory, which screened at at Cannes, he has a film here at Sundance called The Lennon Report, where he's currently looking for distributors. And so I met Fernand Rafael last year at AFM. And we were talking about this project, hadn't even gotten off the ground yet. Here we are a year and a half later and you've got a finished product. So we're gonna dive right in. Oh, Oh, I'm sorry, it's actually written on my (laughs) thing as last but never least. (laughs) And sometimes forgotten. (laughs) Uh, Fred Siegel. Fred is a New York City-based CPA, and he services the New York Tri-State national, international, uh, independent finance community. He provides tax planning and financial advisory services. And Fred's going to really spend a bit of time talking to us about the, um, if nothing else, the New York's, the new changes in New York State rules as it relates to agreed-upon audit procedures. So if I didn't forget anybody, I'm gonna dive right in, but also mention to you all that we've handed out our latest production incentive guides. So please feel free to utilize them as a tool, but more importantly, we just launched a new website that also provides that same information that also has, besides the information that's in the book, a variety of additional information, including a new blog option where you can actually start creating conversations where not only hopefully will the industry respond, but we'll be able to sort of respond to sort of questions you might have firsthand. So with that said, I will ask, I'm hoping no one in the audience is having a problem hearing us, and if not, I'm going to dive right in and start with Tanya and say, Tanya, you're a filmmaker. You have a project. We're talking about independent film finance. Just talk about your thought process. What do you do? Where do you go? How do you get started? Yes. Well, you know what? There's a wireless. That would be easier to... So I don't choke anybody. (laughs) Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Yes. We are not technicians. You haven't figured
1: that out? I would not point this at the speaker. That's my first. uh, Hi. Uh, Yeah, I'm Tanya. Um, Thanks for letting me crash the finance party. Uh, Well, I mean, there's a reason that I am now partnered up with uh, a producer, and not only a producer, but someone who has experience largely in foreign sales and distribution. I think um, doing one movie at a time is a really good way to not make a lot of money or eat or even make a lot of movies. Um, and so, you know, I think I knew that I needed to kind of... I develop a lot of stuff and when I go off to make a film, that all just kind of sits stagnant. So I had a more entrepreneurial approach. Hysteria was at Toronto 2011, um, Sony Classics picked it up and I didn't have that like next perfect spec under my arm so I started developing like a crazy person. And I knew knew it was gonna probably be sales driven so I kind of looked at all the scripts that were out there that I could get my hands on and said what are the things that I love and what are the things that can be made for a certain budget for their intended audience and where's the overlap and that is a funky beat, man. Um, And where is the overlap in that Venn diagram and that's what I looked for. So I kind of, I picked projects that I'm passionate about and that I know how to tell those stories but I don't want to bang my head against a wall for years and years and years. It's just, it's too hard. So I look for things that have a case, both financially and artistically. And then I give it to her. (laughs) Um, But I mean, the things that you guys are looking for in a package, as you know, I have to go get cast, right? That's my chief thing, and that drives kind of everything once the script is there. Um, I mean, I could just hand it off to Laura from there. Okay.
2: Oh my God, the pressure. Um, oh damn, it's too late. Sorry. Um, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it depends on the, in the, on the project for sure. I mean, they're case by case. Um, I mean, every project, you can only finance the project by certain pieces. There's pre-sales, there's tax credits, there's gap or mes and equity. Um, mm. And really those are the only <coughs> puzzle pieces there are to play with. There's, there's crowdfunding. Qu- Yes. Yes, there is. Yeah. But that's still, that's still usually considered equity. Because it's not, you know, it's recoupable or not recoupable money, depending on how it is. But, um, and I mean, and, and I'm probably, we're, we might be talking about different size projects too, because we generally operate in the five million plus budget range. So I, we don't do crowdfunding as much in that level. But anyway, um, so yeah, I mean, we would look at the genre, um, who the potential cast would be, um, how big the budget's going to be and then decide if we think it's a, a project that we can do a lot of pre-sales on or very little pre-sales. Um, Lord,
0: yeah. Talk about pre-sales a little bit. How viable are pre-sales to the independent producer? And is there sort of a benchmark? Is it if it's a super micro budget? Is pre-sales just not an option?
2: I, I mean, coming from a foreign sales background, I think that um, pre-sales are something that you have to think about all the time. Um, I think, you know, Generally, if I'm looking at a project, I'm, I'm, I want to think in my mind at least 25% of my budget is pre-sales. Um, if it's a heavy drama with not, you know, gen- gigantic cast, um, it's probably going to be less. Um, if it's an action movie, I could be up to 50 to 60%. So it really depends. But yeah, I mean, I think you have to think about pre-sales because if you can't prove that your film is worth a certain value in a certain in some territories then it's going to be hard to go and raise the rest of the money because what are they banking on? They're banking on what they think the value is. And
0: I think that's a great answer to a lot of producers assume there isn't a pre-sale market for their film, but I think you have to assume there is and you have to sell it yeah. and that starts with finding a sales agent who can help you do that.
2: Yeah, and I think you can do it on a small movie. I mean, I can I can honestly say I've never made a million do- dollars or less movie, so I I don't operate in those worlds, but you know, even on a $2 million movie, a $3 million movie, we have a component of foreign sales because we can't recoup that budget without foreign. I mean, it's still a part of it. Even if it's, you know, 500 to 750 for all of foreign, I still have to think about that. Sure, sure.
0: So, again, what I, the way I want to do this is I'm going to give everyone a chance to talk, and I hope this just becomes a conversation. <laughs> so I'm actually going to ask you to hand to my microphone right over to, to Raphael and talk about, again, your process. I mean, I mentioned really briefly you had a project that was a... An idea in your head—it's yeah. now a finished project. Yeah. So talk about what you, the process you went through and where, maybe where the money came from. Sure. Maybe you can share. What's, what was the budget on your project, approximately? If you can share, <laughs> or if you can't, just say
3: it was. When it's enough. sold, I'll tell you.
4: <laughs> it's enough. It was enough. Um, I'd say sub five million, and. You said under five. Yeah, sub okay. five million. Yeah. Uh, I, mean, I mean, you gotta find smart investors, you know, and that also depends on the genre of your film, your cast. Yada, yada. But ideally, like, with the film I just did, The London Report, we went out and found, uh, you know, single-source funding, which is the best thing you can do. It speeds up the lawyer process, for sure, uh, most of the time. It's, um, yeah, I mean, you just, you gotta have a smart business plan, and there's just no, there's no way around faking, you know, what your film is, you you know, you don't want to ever tell an investor, hey, you know, this is, and compare your film to something, you know, like, uh like one of those, you know, horror films that made, you know, $120 million and they spent $12,000 making it. So you have to be realistic with the investor. I think that's the...
0: uh, So Raphael, let me ask you, how did you find your investor? Is there, is that something you could share with the audience? Um, Did they find you? Did you find them? I found
4: them and I told them about my project and it was just, you know, one, two, three and that was it. Not, you know, it's never going to be that easy, but uh, I think I was lucky enough to to find that funding and...
0: and your first project was a single investor as well? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. you're the guy to produce the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you yeah, got yeah. the single investors.
4: <laughs> Tough to find. Um, yeah, there's really no, you know, just pitch it, pitch <coughs> the project. Um, have a good business plan. Do your numbers, that's all you can do.
0: Great. So, uh, yeah. so John, somebody who has basically financed projects over $100 million and actually produced yourself and financed projects less and now awesome. as part of EP, financing or helping finan- help financing for projects as low as half a million and as high as again a hundred million talk about some of the creative financing options and how incentives can be put into that process to help finance yeah
3: I mean the the capital structure doesn't seem to change very much on these films with the exception of people that are actually lucky enough to get their films a hundred percent financed with equity I mean I generally you know I, I think what Laura said is is kind of the right the right kind of capital structure to start out with. Like 25% is probably where you'll probably end up with pre-sales. I mean, obviously, um, you, you're not gonna get 100% of that cash up front when you do these pre-sales. You're only gonna get 10% of it, but you can certainly go to a bank and borrow against it. I, I think um, you'd be hard pressed to find a bank today that will lend you, uh, against pre-sales, um, more than 30% of the budget of the film. So you know, I, think, I think the majority of banks want 200%, 200% coverage on the unsold territories, right? And so you know, if you have a foreign sales agent that gives you $4 million on the high end, $2 million on the low end for um, ask and take on the unsold territories, then, and, and let's look at that $2 million number because that's what the bank's going to look at. That means they'll probably lend you a million dollars. They'll lend you half of what that low-end number is providing you sold two or three or sometimes four territories just to make sure that everybody's on the same page and the sales agent's estimates are correct. So you won't end up with more than 30% of your budget on unsold territories. Minimum guarantees if you're lucky enough to to actually do a sale. Um, Banks will finance like 95, 96, 97% of that usually. Um, yeah it depends yeah, it depends on the territory and the sales agent and all that stuff, but you can certainly bank that paper um, the The tax credits that, and the other production incentives, I mean, you know some of these incentives, like New York, you can get as high as forty five percent credit back on on some of the labor, but you're never going to end up with forty five percent of your budget in cash, and I would say, you know. Conservatively speaking, 20% of your budget in cash is what you can probably raise in cash, um, using incentives. So it's you know if it's 30% in uh, from a bank, right? Against unsold territories, maybe 20% in tax credits. um, You're probably looking at somewhere around 30% of a budget in equity, right? Um, So that means the other 20% um, you're probably also going to have to borrow, right? And that's that's probably going to be in a mezzanine a mezzanine piece where people are going to take a little, a little more risk because they get paid back behind the senior debt, um, and they get to charge more for that.
0: So you and I have had an opportunity to bring this up a couple of times. When you're using the incentive as a basis of financing, and it's a transferable versus a non-transferable, what
3: can the producer expect to get? Right, so I, <laughs> let's thank you for letting me revisit this, because people didn't understand it yesterday. So if you're borrowing against a credit, it, it doesn't, if, it's a, if it's a refundable credit, let's exclude New York State right now because it's taking them a long time to process the final applications. But if it's a refundable credit where the state gives you 100 cents on the dollar back on the credit and you're borrowing against that credit because you want the cash up front before you've even started production, you should walk away with somewhere between 80 and 85 cents on the dollar net of all fees that's net of legal fees loan fees the interest reserve if you don't walk away with at least 80 percent of your credit in cash somebody's making too much money off of you Um, if it's a transferable credit where you have to sell the credit like georgia or louisiana or miss or massachusetts or illinois um, you sell those at a discount so nobody's going to give you 100 cents on the dollar in louisiana we know that the state will pay 85 cents on the dollar. Sometimes Mark was able to find guys that'll pay 86, 87 cents on the dollar. But but you do have to sell them at a discount. If you're borrowing against the credit and you need the cash up front for production, then net of all fees, you should walk away with somewhere between 70 and 75 cents on the dollar if the credit's less than a million dollars. When you start to get into credits over a million dollars, a lot of the the transaction costs are fixed. I mean, at some point, you'll cap out on legal fees. At some point, you know, the, the, the interest reserve is gonna reach some kind of plateau. You, you so, the, so the transaction costs go down, and the amount of cash that you walk away with actually goes up, but generally speaking, you should be somewhere between 70 and 75 cents on the dollar. And, by the way, it's very compelling to walk into an, a potential equity investor's office and say, look, I've already raised 20% of my budget with this commitment against the tax credit that I'm gonna use. So, you know, you kind of already come to the table with a commitment.
2: Yeah, I mean, I would say one of the biggest fallacies that I've seen with people who would bring projects to me when I was at running foreign sales companies was, you know, people would say, oh, the budget's, you know, 10 million, and you guys are giving me numbers that are six and my tax credit's three, and so I only need to find a million dollars. And I think there's a, you know, there's a big misunderstanding between what the value of something is and the money you get up front uh, before you make it, um, you know, somebody lending you that money. So you have to know that there's a discount for somebody giving you money in, your, in pocket today for something they'll recoup in a year and a half to two years. And so you know, even if your foreign sales agent is giving you numbers that are six, nobody's gonna give you six right then and there to go make that movie. You have a lot more money to find.
0: So, Tanya, as a filmmaker, right, as you're thinking about p- future projects, yeah. are incentives in your mind? Or do you just basically come up with a project and then go to Laura and say, I have this project, I want to make it, help me find the financing, which might include incentives. How and when does, or um, at all, does it come into your mind?
1: Will they impact me on loca- and what location we shoot the film. Generally, um, if you have a film that's mostly interiors, you go where the, the they give you the most money, basically. And if you have a very location-specific film, then it's a dance, <laughs> basically. Um, but I wanted to, I mean, I do think, I just wanted to speak to what you said, because you said, and I'm sure crowdsourcing, uh, um, this lovely woman, did, is it Elizabeth? Emily. Emily, Emily. sorry, yeah. E. Um, <laughs> but we'll probably almost have the opposite point of view. I think that we always are operating in a spectrum between <laughs> Um, kind of simplicity of, let's say, financial structure versus freedom and different kinds of freedom, right? There's complexity of, like, servicing all these deals. But, you know, people would ask me, so who financed Hysteria? And I would always say, who didn't? Um, because we had 14 parties to the interparty agreement, and that wasn't crowdsourced. That was just an international mm-hmm. co-pro. Um, but there was a real upside to all that complexity, which is... My producers were really well respected, and there was no one financial partner who was big enough to bigfoot us and take over creative control. So people had input, and my producers and I were really collaborative. but in the end, final cut lay across the four of us, mm-hmm. my three producers and me, and you know, who gets that? Right. Nobody right. and if you have one investor, unless they are your mom like their ability to take over your movie is 100%. I mean, except for his. Um, but, but it's unusual. I mean, I think, that, I think my point is it seems like a dream and you had a dream, maybe. Yeah. But you have to be very careful when someone owns even 51% of the, not of your movie, of the equity of your movie. Right. Because your tax credit, your pre-sales, those are all non-recoupable. You've sold those territories off. And unless you've agreed to let people have say over the cut. They get the product when you deliver it. But the equity, they own your movie. They own everything else. And so you just, and it's fine. Like I was really lucky, um, but it was, it was interesting. My producer came to me and said, actually I know this is complex and it's taking forever to close. And everyone should always think if they have a complex thing to make sure to discuss even quietly a bridge loan, even if you don't put mm. it in your budget. Because if you put it in your budget, that money gets absorbed into the psychology very quickly but if you kind of just like tuck it off to the side somewhere because you're going to possibly need it because closings are complicated and irritating um it like we were on we didn't close until second week of production you know and yet like my producer said I know it's complicated but in the end we'll get to make the movie we want as long as we stay on time and on budget because no one is paying for a reshoot. No, no one no. dips into their pocket when there's another person who could dip into their pocket. Um, so it's not really, it's a more financially answer, but, and it's not just tax credits, but it's all of it. They're my tools. Mm-hmm. You know, if I give up, if I go to a location over here, I might not get a crane day there.
4: So I'll, um, I'll pass this over. Also, I was um, lucky enough to have our tax incentives cash flowed by the investors as well, which is nice. So I was like, it's a bond, right? right? With
1: the British government? So, yeah. so it's really cheap. Was like safe money. Yeah.
4: Yeah.
1: So I just took them, like, a yeah. and <laughs> <cheap>. <laughs> Basically. So I, I, knew that I was gonna get the money, back, I knew I was gonna the money.
0: Right. <laughs> so, Mark, we've been talking investors, we've been talking financing, we've been talking incentives. Let's talk, when does legal get involved and how do you get involved and what are some of the pitfalls as a a lawyer advising independent producers that you could share?
5: Sure. Um, My voice is also shot, so uh, everyone just bear bear with me. Um, And and I approach being a lawyer uh, with a different perspective in that I've also produced and directed Three documentaries, so I've been on the other side and I understand the issues. Um, my three documentaries, by way of example, all three were financed differently. The first one started as a nonprofit and then Showtime essentially owned it, bought it. The second one was 100% equity. The third one was a uh, partial pre buy by a US uh, broadcaster, which is unusual and then equity. Uh, What they've all been speaking about is, even at its most basic form, a more complex level of financing. And I think what structure you're going to put your film together um, is when the lawyer gets involved. Uh, The budget of your film is going to be the first component along with where it's being shot with the decision of, how am I gonna finance this film? If you're making a film that's under a million dollars, probably doesn't make sense to start engaging in multi-lenders and equity, um, because your transactional costs are gonna be too much. As your budgets grow, And my practice, deals with small, small budgets that might have no recoupable funds, and that hasn't been discussed yet. So, in the documentary world, you know, a lot, a lot of times filmmakers can have their entire budgets be non-recoupable through grants and similar means, all, all the way to big action films like The November Man that came out uh, recently, which is, you know, full foreign sales, estimates gap, pre-sales, different forms of lenders, equity, and the big decision that you have to make as you get more complicated. Do you have an equity source that will give you the quantity of equity you need, and is willing to sit behind the debt, even in simple forms of debt. And then the second question is, if there's a tax credit involved, are you able to get that into the equity pool to make it more advantageous for them, or is your bigger lender gonna require them? So that is really when the lawyer starts stepping in, and depending on how experienced you are as a filmmaker, will help you Navigate and structure what your finance plan should look like.
6: How many of you have heard terms so far that you don't are not really familiar with? Really, everybody else totally expert. (laughs) Thank you, sir, for your courage. Um, Right. So.
0: well, and then, uh-huh. so, so, I'm going next to incentive. We'll, we'll so all I, was,
6: all I was just gonna say is if ever you need evidence why you need lawyers and accountants, you guys have correctly. done a really good job of demonstrating why.
0: <laughs> so so with that, that point, so Jamila, incentives. Basically, what is an incentive, but then talk about sort of what you're seeing in the world of incentives.
6: Okay,
7: so we, um, an incentive is, the way we use the, the term incentive, it's a broad term. You can get an incentive as a tax credit, that you, you have to show to the state or whatever jurisdiction where you're you know, getting the funding from that you spent the money in their state and you followed their rules and then they will domestically allow you to offset your tax liability if you have one in that state with the tax credit that they're going to give you. Something between 25 to 35% depending on what state you're in and what rules are applied and if you hit all of their tiers and thresholds, um, I will say a lot of the incentives for independent films there's a carve out because a lot of those jurisdictions really want to encourage the development of the industry a true economic base um, and uh, there's a lot of small you know M, M. Night Shyamalan he's you know P.A.'s little little man but when you know he started small there and and now they they love him because he came back and it made bigger and bigger films. Um, so there's there's space in a lot of the um, programs for independent films. Of course, at Fox we don't access that money and it's carved out, we can't even touch it. So um, so so that's a tax credit. Credit goes against your tax liability. You could have a grant or a rebate. <laughs> a rebate typically would be, okay, well you don't have a tax liability but you gotta still tell the state, hey, we were in town. And then they say, okay, well it turns out you don't have a tax liability here so we'll just send you the check back. Here's your money. A grant would be, um, here's cash, (laughs) thanks for coming, prove that you spent the money the way that we asked you to and and here's your check, no no strings attached. Um, All of those are incentives, those are different kinds of incentives that we see. Um, There is another kind of form which is kind of a a syndicate in, in a lot of your international, in some international jurisdictions where an investor pool will get together. The state, the jurisdiction, will fund them. They will get the benefit, and you, and you won't have to deal with it as a producer. So that group will get a benefit, and and in, uh, I'm sorry, as the offset, they will send you the money. So the investor group will become a syndicate and give you cash, and that's a different kind of funding, but also an incentive.
0: So Jamil, um, talk about what are the most key factors when you're dealing with an incentive legislation, minimum spend, all those things that you really right. you need to know about before you step into a state or a country.
7: Right. I would say just off the bat, spend a day on whatever jurisdiction you're looking at. Look at their website because they give you some some quick touch points that you can which website? Any, any. You can start with entertainment partners. Which website? <laughs> Which website? Start with entertainment partners because they're a great aggregator. They've got all of your domestics, some of your mun- mun- municipals, and a few of the larger uh, international jurisdictions. They have two great guides, um, or one guide that's now two parts, right? Um, and I, Joe and I have been, I've seen even the first iteration of this I book, mean, I better. I mean,
0: we're, we're a resource. We're not the source. And, I agree with Jamila. You, you need to deal with the state or the country as well. Right. But you need to go in knowing everything you can before you make a commitment to any jurisdiction.
7: Exactly. So, I, the, way, so the way we do things at Fox, a, production, a producer or production executive will call and say, we want to go to um, Hungary or Macedonia macedonia or someplace that looks like that that's got money (laughs) you know if it's a creative choice so uh, the first thing i do is look and see does does ep have on their website or in their book you know something a couple of quick bullets that i can start formulating what's my number what's my percentage that i'm looking at and what's the net on that when am i really going to be getting back after um after any kind of costs, just as, as
0: an idea, as an independent producer, we heard this yesterday. So Ireland just put a new incentive in place. Right, thirty-seven percent on all your spend, um, and it's upfront. And you can get ninety percent upfront. There's certain conditions, but.
7: That's pretty great. I mean, that's that's 90% cash up front. So, but, from them, but that up that front. Goes, just goes to the point. You kind of have to do the research. If you need if it's a creative choice as they were discussing earlier, you you need to do the research and see what your jurisdiction offers. Is it going to be a tax liability that you have to offset with your tax credit? That that means you're going to have back-end work to file a tax return. Right. So somebody's gonna have to do that and that's gonna be a cost to you. Or is it gonna be something that you get up front? Or can you, as John was saying, can you, um, Is once you get a certificate, the state says, okay, you're coming to town, we believe you're coming. You get a certificate because you've told them how much you're gonna spend and you've proven that you have some level of financing. Can you sell that? And and you, those are the kinds of things you kind of have to work out on the front end. And every jurisdiction is different. So it's, it's helpful to start narrowing it down. But I tell you, if you look at the EP book or on their website, they've got clickable, a clickable jurisdiction guide. So you just click on the state, know your, your state's shape, <laughs> click on it, and, and from there, you can at least know a percentage that you're starting with.
3: Well, and you're right, and I, you, do ha- you have to know how the credit works, right? You really need to understand before you, before you do anything, before you even set up a company, and this is usually the moment in the program when I like to throw all the lawyers under a bus, except Mark, because he's our lawyer, and he doesn't make this mistake. But most lawyers, as Fred will tell you in a minute, tell you to set up an LLC to, to make your film. Setting up an LLC is not always the right entity to use when you're setting a production entity up to make a film. And that's because sometimes LLCs actually don't work with the tax incentive program that you're trying to tap into. Fred, would you like to elaborate a little bit on that?
8: you referring to New York? The tax credit in New York is a refundable tax credit. A lot of people, particularly in the lower budget indie film world, set up the LLC to make the film and they think they're gonna qualify for the tax credit and they also think they're, that the LLC will receive the money. And then they assume they're gonna be able to pay for post costs or festival expenses or deliverables with that money. However, in New York, the LLC, Is awarded the tax credit it receives a certificate it's kind of like a gift certificate but it does not receive the cash instead it allocates the amount of the credit to the various equity investors and when they file their own tax return that's when the money is received so an LLC that wants to receive uh, the tax credit money and use it is not going to work in New York because they are not going to receive the cash so the solution becomes To set up a second company, it's typically a C corporation or an LLC that elects to be treated as a C corporation. Not everybody may know what those words mean, but basically you're creating a second company that can receive the tax credit proceeds. And that's how you get the money into your hands to use for the purposes that you want to use it for. Typically if you're going to borrow money, the lender will require you to use. the uh, the second company. So
0: you you talked about New York being a a refundable credit, but so Marco, talk about transferable credits because, again, it's part of your financing plan. You need to understand what a transferable credit is, when you can get that money, and how that factors into your overall cash flow and repaying loans and and so forth.
9: Well, as, um, you know, looking at the guide, you'll notice that many of the popular incentive states like Georgia, Louisiana, California for independent producers, they are all transferable tax credit states. So that pretty much means you know, a production company can't utilize their credits on their tax return, so by law, they're forced to sell it to another taxpayer. Um, that's where I come in, and you know I work with mostly Fortune 500 companies, and there's a lot of nuances you have to know. One thing, if you're looking to get financing in any transferable state, you first need to find a committed buyer for your credit. So you can't just assume you know, down the road that you'll get $0.90. Cents. We're actually going to have to paper documents showing that a buyer, um, usually a Fortune 500 buyer, will commit to buying your credit in the future. Um, most of our buyers are very strict on when they want their credits. And it's very important that the production company is aware or has a good timing estimate of when their credit will be received. because most of these large fortune companies will need a credit you know by certain uh, tax filing deadline.
0: But Marco make sure you elaborate in terms of the timing element how we assist the, on the producer side in terms of telling them the timeline and, and, and actually helping them find the buyers
9: as well. Yeah like usually when I advise uh, sellers on when they expect their credit you know we start with the tax year of the production company. are uh, some opportunities like in Pennsylvania or for non-refundable states like New Mexico, you know, if you're an independent producer, it might be more beneficial for you to elect a fiscal year uh, because in those states, you're required to file a tax return before you can actually get your tax credit certificate. So talk to your tax attorney uh, to to kind of figure out the, the best timing for your production. Um, also, some of these jurisdictions, you know, they have allocated funds for a specific year, so you could play around with the tax year for for those uh, projects.
1: Um, can I jump in for a second? Please. So, I'm a fairly producerial director, and my brain, like, starts to scramble <laughs> when I hear the jargon. And I think what it really says, two things. I mean, I did learn a shit ton, I believe is the um, technical term. Exactly and, right. And... Uh, and I learned a lot about how you finance a movie because I think all of the, basically all the Byzantine kind of, you know, the quilt of all the different jurisdiction, of all the different structures is a real way you couldn't get ripped off. Um, you have to find people you trust and you really believe are gonna have both the movie's best interests and are gonna kind of do right by all the government finally, <laughs> just everything that has to be done. I mean, I call producing the P word Cause it just—I don't like it. <laughs> um, <laughs> let her do it. Cause it scares me. But it—but um, I will say that I think you need—you know—if you're a smaller independent, you don't have the infrastructure that a lot of these schemes kind of assume, right? They assume they're kind of tilted for people who have lawyers and accountants. And if you're just a like you have a shingle and you're a single operator, if you don't have 16 years of experience. It's really tricky. You have to find people like these guys who offer the services. You may have to pay, or more, you know, pay a little more or you may have to team up. Um, but I mean, it, that's what I do love about filmmaking. It is collaborative and everyone who's good at their job is better at their own job than I'll ever be. Um, but I mean, I could never do any of this. It boggles the mind. And it really isn't for the, that sub, you know, $5 million film. It's very tricky. So,
0: so Emily, I want to go jump to you because um, you know I mentioned your company when we mentioned crowdfunding. But I remember you speaking on previous years in terms of what else your company does. So talk about what your company does and how you, it's, you really help out the sure. independent producer.
6: Sure, I'm I'm trying to figure out how to be relevant on this particular panel, um, and then I realize I only know the thing that I know about, so that's all I can talk about.
0: And that's relevant.
8: How to get money? Yeah. So
6: uh, <laughs> Seed and Spark is. Uh, a crowdfunding platform and a streaming distribution site for uh, independent film and independent film related projects. So we do film, TV, web series. We also uh, have seen production companies finance um, anybody who needs to build an audience. And our tools assume um, a a sort of basic commonality among the filmmakers who use us, which is that you desire to have an independent, sustainable career making movies or movie related things. Um, and the only proven path to independence there has been with all the massive technological change that has occurred over the past, I mean, really we could say five to 10 years, but you know, since the beginning of the motion picture is a direct connection to your audience. Right, um, if you own the pipeline to your audience, you can finance against that. Right, because investors get really excited when you can write a business plan that says, "I have a hundred thousand email addresses, and here's the conversion rate." Here's how many of those 100,000 people came to see my last movie. If we do this for 100K, I know I can pay you back 1.5X, which is better than you're getting anywhere else. This is kind of a low-risk investment. Let's do this, right? Um, And I really love that this panel started with a filmmaker saying, I'm of an entrepreneurial mind because I hope all filmmakers. I was at a panel the other day at The Collective, and I asked the audience, who's, who's here? Who are you? And you know, writers, directors, and they raised their hands. And I said, you know, who are we missing? And a couple guys in the back Women.
1: went- Women. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah.
6: Wrong panel. Except on this panel. We're, ha- we're almost happy. There's a reason
1: we're of an entrepreneurial mind. That's
6: right, that's a fact. Um, we needed a dog later, we're gonna be friends. Um, <clears throat> but a couple people in the back said entrepreneurs. And I was like, hey filmmakers, (laughs) all of you need to have also raised your hand when we said entrepreneurs. I think there is, um, look, the number of people who actually get to have these conversations is very small in the world. And the number of films being made is in the tens of thousands per year in the US alone. I mean, these guys are making all the estimates. And the ROI is shit. And it's because a lot more people are making films who haven't taken the time to educate themselves on the business. And the side of the business that we focus on 100% is you developing a direct relationship to your audience. Crowdfunding is one tool among many that you must learn to use to develop, cultivate, and shape your relationship to your audience. Um, Seed&Spark is also, I can't give you any specifics, but in a couple weeks, I'll be able to announce specifically how we have become a distributor. So a successful crowdfunding campaign will guarantee you meaningful distribution to things like iTunes and cable VOD, Um, and possibly more very soon. Um, Because I think actually the audiences, like if you look at all the technology, how many of you don't have a smartphone? Most of you are like pointing them at me right now. Um, How many of you don't have, nobody in here doesn't have a smartphone, right? That means the authoring tools for audience building are in everyone's pocket. And that means anyone who wants to reach any of you can do it and they can get into your pocket. This has never been true before, right? And so whereas before, in order to break into the industry, you had to like get through all these echelons of sort of red tape and third party gatekeepers. Now the question is how do you rise above the masses? And the cool thing is because of this, you can connect to your niche, grow them over time. And people like to use the Louis C.K. example on two sides, right? One is, look, he sells direct to his audience. And the other is, he's a celebrity, it doesn't count. But he was, he's a person who gets to do what he does because for 20 years he was uniquely dedicated to growing a direct relationship to his audience and he made sure that he owned it. And now he gets to make a million dollars on the first day that he releases a new thing on his website for five bucks right? And that, I think, is what an independent mind... And the cool thing is, if you don't live in New York or Los Angeles or San Francisco and need to pay exorbitant stupid rents, the tools are available to you to make a damn good living making small movies to an audience that's eager to get them. So that's kind of what we teach. Those are the tools that we've built. Those are the distribution pipelines we're trying to put together.
0: Emily, very relevant. Oh, okay. (laughs) Good. So Laura, please. Yeah, I
2: mean, I was just going to add that, you know, <clears throat> I think that Emily's absolutely correct um, in terms of what, you know, her company and, and service can do to help filmmakers. Um, I definitely agree um, that there's a certain sort of budget stratification. I think Mark and I were sort of talking about or mentioned, like, a million dollars or less is probably much, a very interesting and viable Plan and solution. Probably there are some that are a bit higher, but you know when you when you operate maybe in the five to ten and plus million range, you're definitely going to be more in the talk to Mark, talk to Marcos,
6: and talk to these guys. Make, make efforts to mitigate your financial yes, risk absolutely. at every level. Absolutely. And at the at the indie budget, I mean the really indie, the sub 500k, the sub million. The way you mitigate your financial risk is you build an audience in, right? So you know that when you say to an investor who's maybe putting in 25 or 50k. Um, I know that I can sell this movie to this many people. Um, you actually know that you can do that, right? Comps in the sub-million level are useless. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, like, I, I, they're I just useless. Totally agree. Totally. But, but all these things that they're talking about are interesting ways to both structure your finance and mitigate the overall financial risk. And you need experts. When they Look, I learned a bunch of shit sitting here right now. That's like, <laughs> God, I got to go back and study the 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 difference between the various incentives, and then you guys said things about syndicates and I got really confused again. Um, it, <laughs> well, the thing is too, we because now we have this crossover between tech and film, and these words actually sometimes mean different things across industries, but so many filmmakers are going out and raising money from tech entrepreneurs, you gotta be careful with your vocabulary. So when we talk about being entrepreneurial, it also means going and learning yourself a lot of things things about just to speak the language, right? So that also, if you're gonna hire somebody who's doing these complicated transactions for you, you're not only going on your gut, and I would highly recommend you not work with anyone who kind of makes your skin crawl, no matter how good they say they are, um, but you also wanna be able to speak to them with their vocabulary. So when they say stuff, look, I'm a tech, I'm an accidental tech founder. I was a filmmaker and I was like, I need to build something. So I have a better future in which to make film. Well, I had to learn a bunch of stuff in order to be able to hire a developer, right? I'm not a technical person. Like algorithm was as close. I'd be like algorithm, right? (laughs) Um, But now I have, you know, I have a vocabulary where I'm I, well, I really know just enough to be dangerous. Most of the time, our developer now is like, yeah, Emily, that's what we're going to do. But, um, but I do feel like when he talks to me about solutions or when I need to figure out who else we're going to hire and we talk about that stuff, I'm capable enough to understand the hires I have to make, whether or not the person is bullshitting me. You do need to know enough. You have to, you know, you have to be a producerial director and, and, a, and a creative producer. I, I
2: was just gonna. I totally chime in, and that I think that for more than anything, you know, there's nothing that puts me off more. Whether it's you think it's a two hundred fifty thousand dollar movie or a ten million dollar movie, learn a little bit about what you're presenting, and don't put your head in. Particularly for filmmakers, I've had this experience less with producers, thankfully, but um, you can't put your he- bury your head in the sand and be like, well, I think this movie's five million and Okay, but I only think I'm gonna get these 10,000 people over here to see it. Well, it's not gonna be a $5 million movie, I can guarantee you that. So like learn and, and you know, look at websites, like access all kinds of things to understand, even if you don't know it to the depth that we're talking about, even the crowdsourcing thing, um, learn where you can find information, go talk to people because nothing turns, right, I'll speak for myself, off any more than somebody coming in presenting something that is just not possible.
3: Yeah, I wanted to, you're absolutely right. And, and Tanya, you said something earlier that is so important. And you said, you know, I guarantee you your movie's not going to be $500,000. So when you raise $500,000 and you think you've raised the budget of your film, it ain't over. And, and the most important thing you said was about how you kind of hold on to that little piece for yourself. I think, I think big mistakes that independent producers make all the time is they over collateralize what they're giving away right so so let's go back to the example we talked about two million dollars in foreign sales estimates right and so the bank will the bank will lend you maybe fifty percent of that maybe they'll give you a million dollars right but if you don't need a million dollars let's say you need five hundred thousand dollars don't give them two million dollars worth of collateral for five right just like you don't you don't you have to manage the expectations of you right i mean you when you're done when you're in post-production You know having an extra couple hundred thousand dollars may may make all the difference in the world and we had we actually financed a tax credit on a project that's that's showing the screen last night here at Sundance and they didn't finance the tax credit until they had actually shot the movie so they they actually used the tax credit proceeds from us to actually pay for a lot of the post-production as well as pay for the travel for some of the talent for the cast and the crew so that they could actually make this film where they really wanted to make it but then they didn't have a bond they didn't have a bond that's right
1: <laughs> i also think um just in a more basic level I, I, when i was in film school uh, there's this guy named james Seamus who was one of my professors and he always said your budget is your aesthetic and you know if you're gonna go and try and make a Hollywood style movie for even five million bucks, you're probably gonna fail and you're not gonna compete. You you need to make, you know, you were saying, to make a, a smaller movie with a direct connection to your audience, it's like, you know, God knows I would love that freedom and independence, but my stupid head has a big giant canvas inside and I just want, you know, Horses and spaceships and things like that. Um, did you mention the horses? Okay. Um, and so you have to know that about yourself, and that's why I got educated. I think women in particular self-ghettoize and think we're supposed to make small talky movies, and some of my favorite movies are small talky movies, but not all of them. Some of them are talking with, you know, Princess Leia. And um, and those, and you know, and I think we think we're not supposed to make those movies. And the truth is, we just have to think we're entitled to make them, <laughs> and then we have to just be better than everybody else, and it kind of sucks. But, um, but I had to learn a lot, and I also think, and then I'll shut up, believe it or not, um, which is, uh, you know, because I think even someone who's trying to make bigger indies or make some studio films, I still have a very insurgent entrepreneurial mentality, because I'm pretty sure that no one's going to give me anything. Um, they haven't so far. I've pretty much fought for like the movie I'm gonna make next. Like, I literally just kept coming back and bugging them and going, yes, I know it's a sci-fi thriller. Yes, I'm still here. Yes, I can make it for half of what you wanted to make it for, you know? And I just kept showing up and not better. The other thing I did is I got to know pretty much every buyer. I get to Cannes three times. Like, on Hysteria, I got to meet every buyer, every distributor, went to every party. I went, I mean, you name it, if someone threw a nickel near us, <laughs> I shook their hand, I see it all as like a political campaign, and you've got to win everybody over one vote at a time. And if you have all the right financial partners who've got your back and who are trying to fight for the movie and the money on the screen, you it's a collaborative medium. It's a campaign you have to, as a filmmaker, get out there and press the flesh. And you know, for me, I'm an expert, I actually like it. But some people don't, but you really should examine. If you don't like doing that, then find a way to do it very differently. Uh, Because kind of like, "Uh, you know, I am, I'm sorry, I have a lot of French (laughs) friends, but you know, like, this movie, it's uh, very important for me to do it this way, so shut up and fuck off and give me the money. It's a bad plan. It's a bad plan. And you're not getting, you would get you make a better movie with people who are better than you doing their jobs. And then you take credit for their work.
0: Um, Jamila, did you want to say something? Yeah, i Well, I mean,
7: you keep going. One other thought that came to mind as we were sitting here just in, in the planning and, and getting yourself together on an incentive is, um, generally, at least in the US and usually d- in internationally, you're gonna have to get an audit at some point somebody to verify that the money that you said you spent, you did spend, and you spent it the way that the people wanting to give you the money, money wanted you to spend it. So, I would highly recommend, and this is only from the work that we've done, get an audit. They have independent auditors. A lot of them have been certified by the jurisdiction. Get them on board on the front end. They, you can ask them questions all the time on the tax incentive side, at least.
0: That's a perfect segue, because Fred, I, without overwhelming the audience, with. But John had mentioned something earlier about New York State and the, the timing for how long the state was taking to turn around applications to rectify that issue. They've uh, instituted agreed-upon procedures where you can now engage a third-party CPA to review the information. So at a very high level, Fred, explain that what that means to a producer, because I want to give everyone else a chance on the panel to actually share either things that they've learned from, pitfalls,
8: or anything else that would be useful to an independent producer. New York State has been taking 18 months to turn around credit applications. Most states that have a CPA requirement put it in to assure that the money you say is qualified that you should get the credit on is actually qualified and you should get the credit on it. New York State never had that in place before. They did everything themselves. They're now taking 18 months in contrast to 60 to 120 days. So they instituted this new program that allows a filmmaker to elect to hire a qualified CPA firm to look over the final application for the credit, write a report, the filmmaker submits the report with their application. The idea is that the state can then rely on the CPA's report and not spend 18 months, hopefully get it down to somewhere between three and six months. Um, I would certainly agree that it's a very good idea to get somebody on board at the beginning that um, knows the incentives that knows the business as a whole. What I'm hearing here over and over again, we explain to clients, um, is is really collaboration and thinking about it in a more broad and inclusive way to include the business people um, in the film world, as well as the creative people In your concept of collaboration. Um, There are plenty of people around who work with the industry every day, all the time. We think about this stuff, we talk about it, I work very extensively in the indie film world, budgets $10 million down, all the way down sometimes to two hundred, dollars 100000 even. And what's very, very common is people think they know a lot that they don't actually know. They go to professionals that somehow hoodwink them into thinking that they know and they don't know, and there's just an incredible amount of ignorance out there. Um, so finding somebody that specializes in the industry and works with you from the get-go I think is critical. Um, you know, along those lines, I was, were we talking earlier about the, uh, the, we were talking about crowdfunding. The same thing applies to tax incentives. You, you want to get the person who knows this stuff um, very well in at the beginning because while you're, when you're looking for your financing, you're quite often making all kinds of decisions that are going to play out later in the world of tax, whether it's tax credits or tax returns or tax anything. And a lot of times these areas are overlooked, and they work to your disadvantage later. So
0: I just wanted to say also that, that Fred's actually one of the uh, appointed CPAs with regards to the agreed upon procedures, and he probably knows more about those rules than the state <laughs> themselves. I, I am going to open, and then I am going to open up to Q and A in the audience. But I just wanted to actually go around the panel one more time and have everyone a chance to sort of talk about points that they may not have raised, either things that they've learned that they want to share with the audience, or things may that. So I'm going to start. With Jamella, because okay. I've never known Jamela not to have information to share.
7: Well, great that, information I, to share. I, 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 I jumped in early because getting no, no, your no. auditor is really a great place to start. You, you, you know, the fee for an independent is probably going to be less than the fee that we look at, but um, you pay that, and then you kind of can bounce things off of them, at least from the tax incentive point of view. Um, the only other thing, and your auditor could probably tell you this, is what's your timing? What's the turnaround? Like, what should I expect? Is my credit going to be based on the year that my production was went, it occurred or is it based on when the audit is complete? I mean, that could significantly change the timing of when you get something, especially if you're going to wait on the back end and not try to cash flow it on the front end. Great. So with that,
0: thanks. Emily?
6: Um, so j- just like all of the things that you need to think about at the very beginning of the process, um, so too crowdfunding. A lot of filmmakers think that crowdfunding is this thing that you just do, that you go to a website and you put a thing up on a page and field of dreams, if you build it, they will come. Um, And they also they also buy into the myth that is perpetrated in our business that the platform has anything to do with the success of your campaign It's simply not true. We have an 80% success rate on seed and spark um, And that is double Kickstarters and about six times the other guys Um, and the reason that that is uh, is not because um, Of the platform like the physical tools we've made. It's because we don't let films take a crowdfunding campaign live until we have pressed them, until we have assessed their materials, until we have gone over their pitch videos, until we have um, talked to them about their strategies, until they have proven to us that they have done some audience building in advance. and, and that's because otherwise you have a really bad time crowdfunding and your audience has a really bad time crowdfunding. And part of the reason the responsibility of getting experts involved early on, working with people that you trust, writing a good business plan, and a good business plan doesn't necessarily just mean an effective business, business plan, but an accurate business plan. Because um, I've written a good business plan that was bullshit. Uh, it was effective, but it was bullshit. Um, oh, I certainly had Little Miss Sunshine on there as a comp. You bet I did. Um, uh, but, uh, but I think it's really important to understand that in investing, um, every investor that you take onto your project, you are now responsible to the entire film business for them to become an investor in another project, right? Um, and if you burn them, you burn them for all of us. The same is true for crowdfunding. If you take on a whole bunch of new audiences um, and then you don't, you know, you only keep part of the money and you can't do what you promised, or you take on the money and then you drop off the face of the earth and you don't really make the film. Or frankly, like it actually burns them too if the film sucks, so you have a really serious responsibility to your audience. Um, You are responsible to all of crowdfunding for the future of crowdfunding. Crowdfunding, especially, is a privilege that is bestowed upon us by our audiences. And if you um, do not respect that privilege, it goes away too. Um, So I think the preparedness piece and really respecting what you are asking people to do when you ask them for money, um, banks included, frankly, uh, and you'll, you'll pay worse if you fuck with a bank, then you do it with an individual investor, usually. Um, but uh, I think that part is really important to remember that like, we are dealing with human beings' money, that they are entrusting to you in one way or another, and that's a, that is a relationship not to take lightly.
8: Great. Fred? I'll just say a few words on business plan because the word has come up a lot. Again, this is in the indie film space. Um, I see this all the time where people use comps. I've worked on films that have business plans based on comps, and I've worked on the films that the comps come from, and those comps are not always you know, what they're published in the trades to be. We tell uh, filmmakers, really, if you want to raise money, be able to answer three questions. What is my movie? Who's going to watch it? And how am I going to get in front of them? Because that's going to define the... the Well, I say it all the time, so I'll email it to you later. Right, I'll say it again. What is my movie, who's going to watch it, and how am I getting in front of them? If you can't answer those questions, I don't know how you think you're going to convince an investor that they should give you money unless they're ignorant. And there are plenty of them out there that are because they want to get into the business because it's glamorous, they want to be around it, they want to rub shoulders. But if you're trying to build your career as a filmmaker, you're going to have to make films in the plural, over a period of time, you're gonna be in business. Artists, I was a musician, so I get it. Artists are always being told to be business people. In my experience, I don't believe they're gonna become business people, which then takes you right back to the idea of collaboration and have building a team of both creative and business professionals that are gonna help you build your career and succeed at what you're doing. That's great, Fred. Marco?
9: Okay, Joe mentioned our earlier, uh, we have a new website, epfinancialsolutions.com, just another plug-in. We also have a new tax credit placement website. And it's easy to remember, taxcreditplacement.com. Um, one thing I wanted to mention, we've heard a lot of talks what, about... What does that site do? Tech, uh, the buyer and seller website. Okay. Um, we talked a lot about audits. One thing I wanted to stress, if you have an opportunity to make your tax credit foolproof, Uh, Some states like Georgia allow you to do a voluntary audit. Go do the audit and don't be cheap because one thing you have to realize, uh, the buyers of these tax credits, if something happens to the tax credit, they're going to go after you. And, you know, you don't want to be dealing with a Fortune 500 attorney (laughs) or law firm that they hire to go after you. So that's one uh, piece of advice. Um, Also, just as, as far as timing, make sure, you're aware of the timing when we're, when we're doing these financing deals. You know, a lot of times, some of these deals take two or three years, even, and that could increase your financing costs. Great, Mark.
5: Um, okay, hold on, hold on. Oh, got one. Um, so um, uh, let's take another drink of water. Oh. Okay, let's see. Um, so there's been a common theme. I'm, I'm gonna assume a lot of the audience is first-time filmmakers. Um, it, is that accurate, Do, by the way? I'm seeing a lot of, yeah. So it makes a lot of sense uh, to come to us in the beginning. You don't have to be scared about speaking to a lawyer or an accountant because we're gonna have an initial <clears throat> conversation about what is your budget, not just for your film, but for getting started. And we can recommend price-saving ways to go about things. Um, For example, if it's a small film that's gonna be heavily equity-funded and friends and family, and isn't gonna get into a lot of the complications that we've discussed, we might not recommend doing a big, what you hear, PPM, Private private Placement Memorandum. We might do a very basic operating agreement. And have separate financing agreements with the individuals, and just something like that can be very easy to digest for the financiers, and doesn't make overcomplicated and cumbersome paperwork. So just you know, come talk to us, and uh, we help you do what's sensible for your budget, for the story that you're trying to tell, and for the public that you're trying to get to. One other point. Sometimes I see, I mean, I see it often with first timers. They'll go make an agreement on their own with financiers, then later they have to come back to us. It actually makes it worse when we have to fix the, the issues because sometimes they're a big issue. Like you didn't explain to the financier that there's things that automatically have to come off the top and the money doesn't go directly to them. Even friends and family, I've seen, aren't happy about that when, when now you're changing it. So, just something to keep in mind. Great. All
8: right, rest.
0: Thank you. Mark, I mean, Fred, did you want to add anything really quickly?
8: Yes. Um, I've done a lot of films with Mark, and one of the things that Mark does when it comes to the production incentives, and particularly anything tax related, because production incentives typically are tax driven, Mark will reach out to me very frequently. So I just wanna add that if you're working with a lawyer that does not bring in somebody to comment on tax consequences of financing, ask them why. Because it's left out a lot and it leads to lots of problems. Mark is a great example of someone that I hold in the highest respect because he's asking those questions, he's reaching out to collaborate with people to help the cause and ultimately that benefits you as a filmmaker. Tanya.
1: Um, I'm going to speak to two things. One, entitlement. No one owes it to you to make your movie. They just don't. And probably the world is not going to stop spinning if you don't get to make your movie. So I, you know, I just recommend bridge building. I, I had a pitch I spent three months on uh, at Universal, and a friend of mine said, "Oh my God, you like spent three months of your life. I mean, did other things too, but why are you doing this?" And I was like, "Well, this is a small studio movie. It's gonna be a 20 million dollar movie, 20 million dollar P and A, I guess. Is a guess. So how many people who are gonna run a 40 million dollar business don't do a PowerPoint, right?" Like I just thought, it's crazy. Like, it got you know, we've got to like wake up and smell the coffee, like dollar signs or whatever. The other thing, just work hard. <laughs> and um, the other thing I will say is, I think, script. You know, we haven't talked about that, but no matter how transactional people get and how much it is a business, no one wants to make a shitty movie. I can't tell you, I go out to you know dinner with these guys and they talk about the movies that they were involved in that they love and the filmmakers they like to work with. And so everyone is in this business knowing they could make money in other businesses more because they do hold some passion. Um, and so I say, you know, your script has to be a have to for some audience, hopefully the right sized audience. It doesn't all have to be Harry Potter, but it has to be, You know, if we only go in, as Americans and see two movies in the theater a year, I repeat, two, average American, two movies in the theater a year, then someone has to feel like your movie is a have to. Mm-hmm. So think long and hard. Not just, oh, I like this, but do you feel it's that compelling? That's great. Thank
0: you. Laura?
2: Um, I would say probably what everybody's sick of hearing that um, reality, fortunately or unfortunately, the business that we all operate in and the business that I think you all want to operate in is a creative business, and both words are very important in that mm-hmm. definition. Creative, obviously, we want to make art. We want to make people smile and cry, and that's very, very important, but it's a business, and you cannot forget that aspect. Even if you're making a $250,000 movie or a $20 million movie, it has to make sense on a business level. Um, you know, making films is not generally is not a not-for-profit business. People want to make money. Uh, the distributors won't distribute it if they won't make money, and people won't finance it if they don't think they're going to make money. Um, they still want to have fun, and they still want to be put their name associated with that wonderful creative film that maybe maybe debuts in Sundance, but. Both words are extremely important. So understand both. Obviously, you come to it with the creative, but get a sense of business and get a sense of what you're talking about.
4: Thank you, Laura. Raphael? Wow. I was going to say all that.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Ditto. 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 Um,
4: Ditto. um, I'm going to offer a piece of advice. I I would definitely say listen to your lawyer. Um, I see a lot of first-time filmmakers, producers who don't even have something simple as a location agreement signed, and I think that's, you know, silly, you have to go back, you gotta reshoot, ask for permission, and, you know, um, listen to your lawyer, and um, fun fact for you, uh, (laughs) on the Lennon Report, uh, we had 70% uh, women working on the film.
0: Wow. Um,
4: Department heads, all department heads. Uh, So, men hire women.
3: That's great. And John, last but never least. So just so you get a perspective, where, where, a perspective from where this is coming from, I will tell you a very humbling story. In 1993, I joined a studio called Miramax, and the first script I read as an executive there was a script for a movie called Scream, and I didn't get it. I was so, <laughs> I was so focused on the story and so focused on what it was that Craven wanted to tell that I wasn't really paying attention to the economics. And I said at the at the boardroom table, I don't get it. I don't understand why we're making this movie. Cut to the film opened up, $19 million. It was the biggest opening we had ever had. And I was walking down the hall, and Bob Weinstein punched me in the arm <laughs> as hard as possible and said, Why are we making scream? <laughs> so from that moment on, I have not cared at all about the creative aspects of a story. story. I've always taken the approach, I don't care if he kills her or if he kisses her, you got a hundred bucks to do it. And so I've always (laughs) taken that approach. And so you will be constantly, as a producer, you're the CEO of this new enterprise, right? And every time you set up a project, it's a new enterprise. You are the CEO, and as somebody said earlier, you want to go back to that well. Right? So you're, as a filmmaker and as a CEO of this enterprise, you should be the most concerned with how am I going to get my investor his money back? How am I going to protect this business? And that's the way I look at it. And if you're not that kind of filmmaker, then you need to partner with somebody that is, and and especially with somebody that can help manage your own expectations as a filmmaker. That was great.
0: So we have about 10 minutes for audience Q&A, so I'm going to go back to the back of the room and start there.
6: Okay, so I thought I was building a production company and I ended up starting a tech company. Um, And it was because the more I worked on my PowerPoint, uh, the more I realized the real value that I was gonna provide was a longer term future value over time um, to filmmakers in general. And I think um, every single film is a business but if you're going to be a production company now, you're now it's not like okay the producer's going to take care of one aspect and then the director's going to sort of really coddle the creative aspect. Now everybody who has a stake in the production company needs to be involved in the business uh, in a real way. And so if you're if you're going to take this the next step further um, to become a company, um, then I then I say. Um, this lesson is even more... Important. I've never heard a filmmaker say that. I wanted to cry. It was the best thing ever. Yeah, you got to make a fucking PowerPoint that says in 13 slides why you need to exist, right? There are a zillion production companies that have come and gone. I had started a theater company in New York like everybody, every actor in New York has ever done. Um, uh, whatever, we produced a couple new works. was uh, <laughs> seen by at least 60 people. Um... I think it's really essential to get very clear in your mind what you stand for. And if you have something that you stand for, all of this stuff becomes easy to learn because they are tools in your toolkit to achieve the thing that you stand for. Otherwise, I don't know why people would Invest really, or or why? I mean, I don't actually know if you what if you don't stand for something, why you, you bother with life? But uh, but I really I really feel specifically like when you are moving into that space, you have to be really clear about who on the team is expert at what. You have to make sure you have an advisory board that can answer the things that your team can't answer, um, and then you have to spend months figuring out how to get you know, somebody like, I don't know, Avalon Ventures to pay attention to you. Um, And that's the sort of thing that you work on. Right, I'm just I'm calling out because we have like a major VC in the room, so I just figured I'd embarrass him because I could, because they don't get embarrassed that often. So, um, so if, I I feel like that's one of the really important pieces is you have to divide and conquer as you do on a single film, you have to do in a production company, and then you need to build an advisory team of like I'm we're gonna have a talk afterwards because she knows a lot of shit that I don't know, and we're gonna be like, hey, you want some chairs? Let's talk. So I, that would be my my most yeah.
2: I I I, I was. I mean, I've st- we've recently started a production company, and I've started several other uh, businesses. I mean, I think that you have to be, the first and foremost thing I would say is you have to be realistic. Uh, you know, don't try to say, well, I need $2 million of overhead a year, and, you know, I mean, no, there are very few investors, particularly sort of film-oriented investors, who want to really invest in overhead, because it's, it's, what are you getting? What are you getting at the end of the day? So you have to be very strategic with the money that you're getting and how you're using it, I also think that it has to be something as a relationship that you cultivate with that investor because they're really really buying into you, you that person, because they're buying into what film are you gonna pick in year three that that we should make or or you should be putting together in year four. Um, And so I think that it's really about who are you, what are you you trying to do, um, and how are you realistically doing that? Um, you know, I would say it's probably not a good business plan to say my salary is five hundred thousand and everybody else's is twenty. Um, that's not going to help. Um, so I mean, it's it's being practical. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so it's it's being practical, I think. But but it it but, it but it also goes to everything here, which is you have to have a real business plan. Like, okay, if they give you two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year, how are they getting it back? Because they're not getting it back specifically out of that movie. So what are they getting?
4: And and to add to that, I mean, at the end of the day, your investor is also buying you, not just your product. So, I
0: just to make sure we, uh, Joe, but, but but I want to get some more questions out of the room. So, Bruce.
2: Much is your budget it's 15, which is,
7: I, know, maybe I'm overreaching
2: I can tell you a fifteen million dollar budget with a fifty year old actress. Actress.
4: Actor. I think yeah, uh, right. it's. Nero Street. It's <laughs> a drama that would require an actor and
2: an actor. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, unless you're getting Liam Neeson, uh, I mean, fifteen million is a big budget in the indie world, and two million dollars of equity is great but if you're not gonna be able to get that actor to drive the returns on that budget, you're gonna have a hard time getting anyone to listen to you. And, and yeah, you're right. I mean, it does, it's not gonna behoove you unless you have a, gen, a huge track record, which I don't know. You, you may be huge, Scott Rudin, um, but uh, you're gonna have a hard time getting that agent to pay attention to you. Um, so it may be something you might want to figure out, why do I need to make it at 15? Can I make it smaller? Can I make it at six? Well, then you've got a third of your budget. That's a different conversation to have with any foreign sales agent. Um, Do you
1: have
4: a director attached? Yes. Who did your budget?
5: Who, who did your budget? So, are, are you the director? Okay. So, the point at which there's a reality there's, there's no magic formula. But when you're able to hire a casting director, which you can do right now, presumably, because you have some equity there or development money, so when you can hire a casting director to go out to cast, the agents, if they like it, are going to ask a question like, when is it ready to shoot and how much of the money's there? If you're able to say, it's a two million, it's a $3 million budget, we have two million and we're just looking for one million, there's actually a conversation that can be had. If the answer is we have two million and it's a $15 million budget, the agent's response to the casting director would be, why are you wasting my time? So it's what's realistic and realistic can be a conversation at matching funds. We have 50% or something a little more, two to 15 not. Does that make sense? Because I want the answer to be, it's because it's, it's not that hard. It, you have enough money to get a casting director. They're gonna go to the, ca- the to the agents. So that agent just needs to have some faith that this thing's about to can go. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: Any other questions from the audience?
1: Yes. Of course <laughs> Director, you, a producer, what what is your
4: just, in this case? Who do you call? Is that the question? Yeah. Anybody. Yeah. Anybody that will listen. <laughs> Friends, <laughs> family. Who would I call? I mean, seriously, who would I call? I mean I'm go by
8: calling H1
1: vendors <laughs> in Wall Street? i mean No. <laughs> if you want to know where the equity okay. Yeah, if you've never made a movie before, you need a producing partner. You, you need someone with experience, and you will learn through working with them how to find those sources. Doing it cold calling with no experience, it doesn't happen.
6: Okay, hold on. Just, just I know that this is the most frustrating part of the conversation. I really feel that. Um, I made my first feature, and we shot for eighty-five thousand dollars. We raised sixty thousand dollars from who we affectionately could call friends, family, and fools. Right, <laughs> and then. No, seriously, it was like we we had a couple of high net worth individuals in our network. We talked to all of them and any of their friends they would let us talk to with profound passion and conviction that this was this was the project that needed to be made by these people for the following reasons, and we could name them, right? And a few of them believed us enough to make small equity investments in our film that they knew probably weren't going to pay them back because we were a small indie drama with no cast. Um, But they believed enough in making the project work and they believed in the team enough that they knew they were enabling something big. And all of us, every single one, has gone on to do something else. So the first time around, you need to scale your movie for your experience and for your network. So one thing I would say to you is, if you have an idea that you think is incredible, not only should you be talking to everyone, and just let me be really clear. Filmmakers in the I need to make a movie mode get very much into the hi, what can you do for me? Hi, what can you do for me? Hi, what can you do for me? And there's nothing that will turn people off more than that. I would say, go out into the world to everyone and say, how can I help you on your movie? 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 And do that enough times, you will meet the network of people who will work their asses off for you for almost no money so you can get your budget down really low. They will introduce you to people who will fund your movie in whatever way you need to it. And you need to be doing this with your audience right fucking now. You need to be on Twitter, you need to be on Facebook, you need to be talking to all of those people, and you need to crowdfund as much of it as possible. Because if you can prove that your idea has audience traction, that's when you can start to make the calls to the people who, that's when you can start calling hedge fund managers, right, who are making investments based on real data.
5: And one thing to add, everything Emily just said is right on point. Um, If you have the tools in your toolkit to go out, so you have a good proposal, you have a good finance plan, go to the stakeholders of whatever that project is. If it's a documentary or a scripted project, if you're doing something on a sports you know, theme, go to people who are passionate about soccer, if that's what it is. If it's religious, go to the church people. Go to the stakeholders who want to see your story out in the public.
0: Yes.
6: Exactly. Uh,
0: Great, <laughs> it looks like a New <laughs> <Andy laughs> filmmaking is awesome. <laughs> <Crash> <laughs> <at dot> TV, <laughs> and I want to talk to you about this Great. Right. Raphael, something you wanted to add? Uh-huh.
4: <laughs> yeah, um, for this gentleman over here, um, when you were uh, speaking about going out to the people and say the soccer fans, if it's a soccer film, you're talking specifically about um, donation money, not... No, both investment okay, investment right, to. right. Which then you know always consult the lawyer before going out and trying to raise money. So always do that.
2: Well, I thought that, and honestly, that's why you know. By the way, if you go out to people and ask them for money, you, you, there's levels of securities law here. That's why you do need to you know consult a lawyer before doing that because what you're what you're saying to them is extremely important in terms of you know, the responsibility of what
6: you're telling them, or whatever.: is to know very what you want to do? Both the movie that you want to make and the, you need to know what you want to do with well, the movie that you want to make and the career that you want to make out of that, and then take your initial meetings with those experts and say, "Here's what I want. What is the best, next, right thing for me to do?" So I, but that's. But I'm telling you that the next thing you do is you take that focus and passion, you, you, you write down, this is what I want out of this thing, and then you take initial meetings with an attorney you might want to work with and an accountant you might want to work with, and you'd say, okay, given that these are the things that I want... And, and that I am, I am willing to put the work behind this. What is the next right thing for me to do? Okay. You don't need to know it all. You, it's important to be able to say, I'm, I really appreciate that you were the only one to raise your hand to say, I don't know what some of this stuff is. If you know what you don't know, that means you have questions. And if you have questions, there are experts to answer them. But it, it, what you can know is what you want out of the situation. And that's what you have to start so
0: with. So honestly, we have to wrap this up. So I want one final point for Laura, but also highlight for everyone, there's gonna be a, a bit of a reception here in the room, a little bit later this afternoon but all of us are going to be lingering after the panel so Laura your last thought and then we're going to actually wow. end this so and thank you all for hanging out so and much this pressure. is the best part of the, the, the panel this yes. whole dialogue but Laura um,
2: I, this isn't like one of those wrap up thoughts I was just going to no, say no. you know <laughs> like I, I, uh, I think that you know second guessing yourself or right sizing what you're doing happens all the time and I'm not only suggesting anybody here who's like First time producer, I'm going to make a $5 million movie. You know, maybe you want to start smaller. I mean, it happens all the time, even with projects I'm doing, and I've been doing this for a while. Uh, Tanya, even, the last film she made, it was originally going to be a $15 million film, and when they couldn't find the money to support that size of a budget based on the genre and the cast and the elements that they had, they had to go and, and re, redo, retool it. And it became an eight and a half million dollar budget. So like, you know, these things, these questions and not knowing and not having all the right answers happens to all of us too. Um, and you know, it's it's constantly asking the right questions and, and saying, oh this, oh, this isn't making sense. Okay, why is this not making sense? And going back and figuring it out again, consulting somebody else and saying, what do you know? Why is this not making sense, you know? And I think that's a constant, so, it's a constant, right. constant, yeah. Exactly,
0: so, so the wrap up thought is that this is an ongoing conversation, that all of us are gonna be lingering for as long as we can this afternoon. There will be a reception that Entertainment Partners is sponsoring starting at 5.30. But at that point, I wanna thank Jamela, Emily, Fred, Marcos, Mark, Tanya, Laura, Raphael, John. Thank you.
9: Joe. Hey Joe, um, we're doing a raffle. Um, for movie magic, so if you guys want two movie magic bundles, we're doing a raffle. Just put your business card over here. And anyone
1: who'll give you free stuff. <laughs> <and support. laughs> Everyone,
0: Michael <laughs> no, thank you. And no, thank you. Thank you. Thank you.